Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show presented by Tops. Derek Van Riper, Richard Rolli, Eno Saris here with you. It is Thursday, April 28th on this episode. We discuss all the happenings with the literal baseball. We have a very angry and very successful Mets team uh, registering complaints about the ball. We'll uh, talk about the story that Eno wrote with Ken Rosenthal about what's different so far and what might change in the months ahead. We're also going to talk about what we actually want baseball to look like. Part of messing with the ball is to get this desired result. But what is the actual result that we're aiming for aesthetically and in terms of statistical output? Where, where do we want the game to trend in the years ahead? We'll also talk about other things that have caught our eye and, of course, our observations, including Week three pitcher and hitter of the week. Highly coveted awards. A lot of buzz about the awards a few weeks in. So we begin with the ball because we often begin with the ball because the ball is more of a story than it should be for the last five years running. You know, I just got to ask what's going on with the ball (laughs) right now? Oh, my least favorite beat. Love it. Covering the ball. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's basically the ball that we were supposed to, the deadened ball that Ken Rosenthal and I reported on in, uh, spring last year that we didn't get last year. We got 50, 50, we got half the deadened ball, half the 2020 ball last year, this season, I think by all accounts, and it's, there's still squirrely statements and there's still not, they, they say it's all comes from one production batch, but Meredith Wills reporting does say that. Uh, they produced two balls last year. So <laughs> it's still not 100% clear, but behind the scenes, sources are telling us, yes, it's one ball. It's the 2021 Deadon ball. And so you're seeing even in places that had the humidor last year, distances down on barrels and, and batted ball distances down a couple feet. So that's uh, attributable mostly to the ball, I think. But in the humidors, uh, the new humidors, with which there are 20 new humidors, you're seeing batted ball distance down on the order of 8 to 10 feet. And that's, I think, an interaction between the ball, the way humidity works, because it's less humid early in the season and more humid later in the season, and uh, the way the, a really specific maybe interaction between the ball and the humidors that might be pushing the seams up. Basically... Think about what would happen to a ball if you dehydrated it and then rehydrated it. It might become misshapen. Like, what would happen if you took those dried mangoes and put water back into it? It w- wouldn't look like a mango. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a good it comparison. Would shape. But that's sort of what's happening with the balls a little bit. Like they they are rehydrating, and it's possible they're rehydrating to like a different form. Interesting. Here's what kind of bothers me is like, yeah, baseball seems to be the only sport that just can't figure out the ball. 
And did you guys see the Mets game last night? Guys are getting hit in the head. Um, guys are getting hit at a rapid clip. The Mets, though, are getting hit in the head more than any other team. And Chris Bassett yesterday had some really strong words for MLB. Um, or I guess this was Tuesday night. Some really strong words for MLB saying, like, the ball isn't right. You have to get the ball right. You should ask the players. And Chris Bassett's been hit in the face, as he pointed out. And unless they fix this issue, you wonder what's it going to take for people to be like, the ball needs to be fixed. You know, we've had the sticky ball, the dead ball, the ball that flies out. Why can't we just get a consistent baseball? You know, you and I reported on this. It's because Rawlings is in bed with MLB. MLB owns part of Rawlings. Rawlings hand makes these balls. So unless the whole process changes, I don't see a really easy solution to fix this. Do you? I mean, I think to give baseball some credit here, I think the 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 effort is for consistency. You know, they said that when they deadened the ball, it was because it would be more consistent. They said when they when they added the humidors, it was so there would be more consistency. But I can totally see, and, and I, this is a little bit speculation, but it's based in, in some science. What Bassett is talking about, what happens with the humidor is, you know, you take a batch out, right? So there is going to be some drying. So you'd have a sort of fully humidified set of balls that's taken out for the first inning. And he was talking, the thing that was really interesting to me was he talking about how it's no, it's different in the third inning than it is in the fifth inning. And maybe there is uh, some interaction between how the humidors are, balls are when they come straight out of the humidor. You know, maybe they're fresh and wet, you know. And then, you know, maybe three innings later, uh, there's been some drying that occurs. The science does say that you kind of want the time that it's been in the humidor to equal the time it's been out of the humidor to have real drying. You know what I mean? Like, if it's been in the humidor for two weeks, if it comes out for an hour, it shouldn't completely change um but i think there's been enough where science has predicted certain outcomes and it hasn't really worked out that way uh to see that like a handmade ball like you pointed out is just maybe always going to have these inconsistencies and that they're mucking around with it maybe making it worse i think the interesting thing i'm looking back at, at hit by pitches from a team count perspective and looking back to 2000 as the first season. So going back 22 seasons now. And if you look at that list, three of the most five hit by pitch teams that have played since 2000 were all playing last year, different ball last year versus this year. But I wonder if the, the way the ball feels for pitchers is similar to the problems they're having a year ago, or if this is just a symptom of teams increasingly being willing to throw inside. Like, I, I think th the ball might be part of the yeah. problem, but location strategy and poor command might be the big... Like It might not be poor command all because of the ball. It might be poor command at the expense of movement and velocity. So I understand why the Mets are super pissed. They've been hit 18 times. Pete Alonso's been hit in the head twice. The problem, I think, is that the incentive to pitch inside is greater than the downside of hitting someone great you hit someone they get first base big deal you walked them you walked them and you might have hurt them not that guys are throwing inside to hurt opponents but you're just not getting penalized enough as a team for throwing inside hitting people so i don't know what the adjustment has to be i don't know if you make all hit by pitch instances an automatic double maybe instead of getting one base you get two maybe if you hit someone above the shoulders two bases maybe if you hit someone above the shoulders it's two bases and an ejection for the pitcher 
you got to have some kind of deterrent. You got to have something else that changes this trend. It can't only be the ball. So I'm not saying Chris Bassett is wrong. I have not held a Major League Baseball. I've never pitched one before, but I do think there's more in play than just the actual material feel of the ball that's causing the Mets to get hit at this accelerated rate. The Pirates, by the way, have not had a hitter get hit by a pitch this season. They are amazing. They're so good at avoiding hit by pitches. It's a skill that I think they were really emphasizing as they constructed this roster over the course of the winter. I was talking to a catcher yesterday, actually, about the fact that the game has changed. It used to be you didn't come up to the big leagues until you had command. Now we fall so in love with movement and velocity that these guys, these young guys are coming up. No clue where it's going. And don't forget, up until last, what, six months ago, nine months ago, they were allowed to use sticky stuff. So they had even more kind of command of that ball. So they never really learned those skills. And as the game has gotten younger and younger, you're you're seeing these guys that are promoted with big arms and big upside very quickly because they're cheap and they're under team control, but they're not necessarily able to command that baseball. So that's a, a really good point that I haven't seen. You know, it's easy to blame the ball and MLB, uh, but on the flip side, pitchers should be commanding the baseball better. And they're just not. And that's a trend we've seen in baseball very quietly as it's gotten younger. We've also off, often seen the command go. We've seen a lot of like boneheaded moves uh, fundamentally. And that's because the game has gotten younger and guys haven't gotten that seasoning um, that they had in, in, you know, in past years and the way the game used to be where you would come up as like a 28 year old rookie and it wasn't quite such an anomaly as it is today. There is some, you know, there's, there's a lot of sort of feeling that we've developed a game that no longer cares about command. And I, and I hear, I hear what you're saying. I think the youth does, you know, the youth of the game has something to do with it. There is actually some smoke when it comes to you know, whether or not our new training methods are training people to to command very well. Because, you know, I talked to a neuroscientist once that said that, you know, the proliferation of weighted balls. He said that you use different neural pathways if you're trying to throw a boulder or a javelin or a seed or a football or a weighted ball or a non-weighted ball. He, he sort of suggested that you will use different neural pathways to throw the weighted ball, and the proliferation of the weighted ball training may be leading to slightly different neural pathways and slightly different levels of command. So that's one thing I think about is what are our training methods? How are they uh, you know, reducing command possibly? And then the other thing that I think about is, you know, throwing at your maximum, which is everyone's doing that now, throwing at your max velo. How much command do you have at your max velo versus how much command do you have if you step three or four miles per hour off? If you look at the history of baseball, you know, while we've tracked this, we used to sit, pitchers used to sit four miles from their maximum on average. They now sit under two miles an hour from their maximum. So really just everyone's out there trying to throw as hard as they can for as long as they can. And then the last thing I think of is I'm 100% with you, on Derek, on the location strategy idea because we are throwing more high pitches than we ever had. The high fastball is in vogue. And what, can you, what happens higher in the zone that doesn't happen as much lower in the zone? Hit by pitches. You also have hitters that are crowding the plate because that turns the outside pitch into a pitch they can pull. So you have a pitch, you have, and then you do, I mean, the body armor thing is true. I mean, we saw it with Barry, but like there's other people wearing the, the elbow pad. If you have the elbow pad on, you get closer, you turn the outside pitch into something you can actually hit. And uh, then they throw the high fastball. Yeah, it's going to hit you. 
So it's, I would say if I had to parse them all out, I would say maybe five to 10% ball, you know, I would say maybe 25 to 50% training methods and, and current style of pitching. And then the last little bit is uh, pitching high in the zone locations and, and, and where the batter is standing. A lot of this kind of comes back to a recurring question. What do we want baseball to look like? Like we can complain about every tweak, every adjustment, every possible thing. We can write the stories and get the quotes and listen to the players and and then get the BS statements from the league saying that the ball is consistent and it's one true ball. And we can play this game forever. But there, there's an end goal here. What is the end goal? What should baseball look like? I mean, Britt, if you were setting targets that you were trying to hit what would they look like compared to the game we're seeing right now and again we talked about it on the show a little bit last week that the league as of now as of wednesday hitting 231 with a 307 obp and slugging 368 that is a problem hits per game lowest they've ever been in baseball history in 150 years clearly that's a problem but where are we trying to go where should we be aiming with all the adjustments whether that's changes to the ball uh, rule changes about the shift, whatever it might be. They want more balls in play. Uh, you know, the offense is down, but also the three three true outcomes is up, right? So I think you have to, and and I, I agree with everything being said on this podcast. It's not just the ball. It's really easy to blame the league and say, well, look what the league did to the game. This is also on the players because they made adjustments because they figured out, you know what? I'm not getting penalized for striking out anymore. And I'm not making more money in arbitration by making connection with the ball more often. No, I'm getting paid to hit it out of the ballpark or strike out. Um, those are, you know, the, those are the outcomes. So it has become this like multi-pronged problem. And I think what you need, and I think shortening the game, the pitch clocks is going to go a long way towards this because cutting that dead timeout, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, cutting the dead timeout is going to cut down on the amount of recovery the pitchers are able to do between pitches. And therefore it is going to slow them down in miles per hour. So it is going to already kind of adjust what we're seeing. So does their command get a little bit better? Do hitters kind of change their approach a little bit more as a result? Um, You know, so I think that the dead time is going to help a lot. It's going to fatigue guys. Guys aren't going to be able to swing as hard as they can and have two, three minutes between swings. Same thing as I mentioned with the pitchers. So I think that cutting the dead time is something that we could see some ripple effects from, but really you have to change the system. We have to set up the way that guys are rewarded for hitting singles, hitting doubles. Uh, You know, a triple is an exciting play. Stolen bases are exciting plays. We have to change that. Fundamentally, we can do whatever we want with the ball. I mean, what are you going to do? Juice the ball again? It's still not going to change anything. People are going to be hitting home runs then. And we're going to say, yay, the offense is fixed. And the pitchers are all going to be pissed because the ball's juiced and fly balls are now 10 rows deep in the stands. So to me, you have to look at this like multi, multifaceted different ways and say, okay, how do we force guys to throw slower? You do that by cutting out some of the dead time. I think that's going to be something that's really going to have a huge impact on this game. And I think that's a, a great point too. Like there's going to be like when you're trying to incentivize different play, like you're talking about, I think there's going to be like weird seasons. Like we saw once in 1987, an explosion of home runs. If you have a baseball card, someone DM me the back of a, a baseball card and it was amazing. <laughs> I forget who it was. I'll try to get it while I'm doing this. But, but uh, you know, the if you look at 1987, there was a crazy amount of home runs that year. And I think what it did was sort of, 
awaken the idea in hitters like, oh yeah, home run's the best thing I can do. And that's a little bit of the beginning of the home run era, the the 90s and the and the 2000s when, you know, home runs sort of exploded in the sport. And, you know, I think home runs are positively correlated with attendance. People do like home runs. But runs and run scoring is more tightly uh, positively correlated with 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 attendance people like runs more than they like home runs so what happened with the strikeout was the strikeout came became such a big thing that runs came back to earth even though we were seeing all these home runs we just got nothing else (laughs) it was just strikeouts and home runs and so this new ball the deadened ball could actually be part of an incentivization process where it's like okay we're going to deaden the ball and then we're going to reduce the velocity on the on the side of the on the pitchers and maybe the reducing the velocity will reduce the strikeouts and having a more deadened ball will reduce the incentive to go for the home run and maybe between these two things we create more contact but in the while it's happening it's going to be like 1987 where you're like what the hell is this you know like it, they they <laughs> they added like 50% home runs between 1986 and 1987 like it was just out of nowhere uh so this year is going to feel out of nowhere a little bit uh but uh you know uh, the card i was looking at was if you want to look at larry sheets's numbers uh between 84 and 88 uh, 87 is a big wowzer. It's pretty good. You, you have a Larry Sheets baseball card just, just laying around? <laughs> yeah, someone, no, someone DM'd me the back of a Larry oh, Sheets I thought you just had one like sitting on your desk. And I was like, well, I think we need to talk more about that. And yeah, he did go 17 and 18 home runs in 85 and 86, and then popped 31 in 87, and then dropped back down to 10 in 88. Tony, one of my followers on Twitter, was pointing out there was a really bad drought in 87, at least in in Wisconsin, um, that that uh, those things can atmospheric conditions can change very drastically in any given year, and also cause offensive surges like that too, right? There's there's other condi- there are other variables in play here, and you mentioned them up top talking about the ball that can also cause these numbers to fluctuate from year to year. Well, you mentioned it's in the show notes, but you, you had something about like stolen bases went through the roof in in '74 or something. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, I, I mean, I, I just noticed it last night, didn't really get a chance to dig in deep enough to figure out if, if someone had a revelation that you could steal bases and it was a good like good mathematical decision or if it was just like some team did it and they were good, so then other teams copied it. But stolen bases spiked in the mid-70s. Here are two rule changes that happened right around then. I don't know, it's not obvious why they would go right to stolen bases, but I think there might be something there. Uh, this is This one's funny. In 1974, the ball was permitted to be covered with cowhide because of the shortage of horses. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so, new ball. New ball. Uh, and then the other one is yeah. uh, the designated hitter. Uh, started in 1973 on an experimental basis. Hmm. So I don't know when it what when it became uh, for sure. But uh, the designated hitter that that actually could be part of it, right? That's a that's a position player now that's running the bases. That's an extra position player that's running the bases that wasn't before. And think about who that extra player yeah. would have been in the 70s compared oh, yeah. to who that extra player is now, right? Slappy it's, McSlapperson, who's got some yeah. speed. It's going to be some like, 5'10", 180-pound guy that, that hits three home runs a year but can play four positions and, and is an above-average runner. That's Yeah, because you'd push your like, first base and DH guy over to DH, and that guy would play more. You'd, you'd see more... Mark Lemke's. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, I do think it's it is interesting. Martin Lemke and Jeff Blauser, that th- those guys are those are guys that I watched. You know, when I was introduced to the sport, I lived in Atlanta, and it's I think it's really easy when people say like, "What do you want the sport to look like?" They often I think return to nostalgia and return to those moments and say, "Oh, you know, I I you know I even have friends who were in my ear about this. Like, oh, I want to return to to those great days." And I'm there's enough of there's a part of me that's like, I don't know, man, I. Jeff Blauser was not, I'm sorry, he was not good. And Mark Lemke, like, I loved him because, I loved him as a kid because he was not good. Like, I, I loved him because he was not good. I could see myself in players like that that's in Little exactly League. It. I wasn't the best was player like, in the league in Little League. That seems attainable. I, yeah, I could I see a bottom of the Mark order Lemke. hitter and go, oh, maybe, maybe I could play in the big leagues because he plays in the big leagues and I only <laughs> hit two Jones. home runs this year. So Chipper Jones is out. David Justice is out. You know, I'm not as fast as Otis Nixon. But Mark Lemke, maybe. Yeah, I don't have I don't have Griffey's swing, but maybe I got yeah. Mark Lemke's swing. But I I like I don't I don't know I don't want to start like a whole hot take argument or whatever. I don't think those guys play in the major leagues now. Well, that's a what are teams selecting players for? What traits are they looking for in players today versus it's then? It's also about what the game yeah. looks like. You just can't you can't you can't carry a guy unless they are Nick Madrigal or or, or Stephen Kwan and can make amazing contact like nobody else. You can't carry a guy who doesn't have power. Right. So power is the name of the game. So the game has changed. You have to have power to play the game now. And I think that's all okay. I mean, are we really going to change the game to now? We, we do. We do. We want two or three players on every team that can't really that is going to hit like five homers. No, that would be boring because then the, it's it's like taking the problem of the pitcher hitting in the NL and and like it's just a it's like a wasted plate appearance most of the time. If like they statistically, have no power, I agree. I want yeah. to have the threat of a home run at a, you know, a possible threat of the home run at every plate appearance. That part's good. I think the biggest issue I have, I think we all agree we want more plays, like more triples would be good. It's hard to it's make triples. triples, man. <laughs> yes. But running. the thing is, is like, yes, yeah. The thing is, is they're better athletes than they were 10, 20 years ago. That's why you can't put the power back in the box, mm. right? These guys are just better athletes they're lifting their off-season conditioning their year-round jobs so yeah why can't they run more why can't they hit more there's no reason you can't take the power away these guys are bigger stronger faster than they've ever been i I like i like this is why i like making the bases bigger you know like i do i do i would like speed to be emphasized a little bit i understand the math and that like if you are not successful 67 percent of the time you should not take off that's the math that's the basic math that changed the game Right. Playing blackjack by the book. Is that the most fun way to play blackjack? Even though it's the, mathematically, it's the smartest no, way. No, I hate, I, I actually hate playing poker. 
this is this is an, I have to admit this. This is like I feel like it's an embarrassing thing to admit among baseball writers or baseball like lovers. I think there's a Venn diagram where like poker and baseball is really tight. And I'm sorry, I hate playing poker because the right way to play poker is boring as heck to me. It's work. It's work. You're sitting there doing math <laughs> and like running odds. Every, you know, it's not relaxing to me. I can do it. I don't want to do it. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock at night. I just want to sit around and drink a beer. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't need to do math problems while I drink my beer. Wait, is this a real thing? Because I don't like poker. Uh, I think, I think, is this a real yeah, thing? I think most baseball writers like poker, especially in the fantasy world. You know, the Springsteen overlap is real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Relative to the crowd, I am not as high on Springsteen as everybody else. His music's yeah, fine. I, I don't, Good music, I don't but it's not, it at all. it's not for me. If you said yeah. you can go to a Springsteen show or you can go to a Swedish House Mafia concert, I'm going to Swedish House Mafia. <laughs> I'm taking those tickets because I'm going to have more fun at that show. Yeah. We're an unorthodox baseball. Tr- we're not the traditional trio. No, not. not in terms of our taste, at least. We don't have, do we not have a least. single uh, Springsteen fan in the trio. We're not the traditional... Uh, the rage tweets are going to be flowing after uh, after that statement. I don't know why I brought that upon us. Can I can I have a rage tweet of my own right here? Well, sure. Can I can, sure. I, I, can I start rant? So I went to a baseball game last night, and uh, a week ago I went to a baseball game and I took a picture of the attendance in Oakland, and the picture got picked up. It got stolen by Bob Nightingale. Thank you very much, Bob Nightingale. It got stolen and picked up, sometimes attribution, sometimes, most times not, by a lot of different outlets. It became a whole big deal. Uh, they had about 3,000 people there that night. It was, it was bad. And then last night, Dave Cavill, the president of the A's, takes a picture or retweets a picture that's an hour before game time, an hour before game time, and says, are we going to like talk about the lack of you know, attendance at the Giants game. And I feel like he's gone off his rocker. I oh, do yeah. I do not understand what's happening here. It's either dumb or it's cynical because 33,000 people came to that game last night. It was three quarters full. And I, know, I understand that might be down a little bit, but there are factors with uh, what's happening in San Francisco in terms of not as many people working in San Francisco anymore because they're working from home. They're not working near the ballpark as much. It's also April. It's colder. Like, there's a lot of factors, but 33,000 is not something to be super ashamed of versus like 3,000. You know, it's like, what are we doing here? Why are we talking about this? And I think that it's just a, I think it's actually a cynical play. And that's what makes me mad. I think that they are actually scorching the earth. They have two incentives to do this. One, they can go to revenue sharing, which they just turned back on. So the A's were out of revenue sharing for a little bit as a receiver. And now they they got turned back on as, a, as an extra receiver. So they want lower numbers because that'll put them more in the square in the revenue sharing receivers category. Two, it proves, quote unquote, that baseball in Oakland is untenable. It proves that this can't work here. And so thank you, Vegas, for giving us a free stadium. I want to tell you, in like voters in Vegas, it's almost never a good idea to, to give owners a free stadium. It uh, doesn't work out. It doesn't add uh, as much as people think it is. Go read some J.C. Bradbury. He's an excellent professor on this subject. He, he's done the research. 
There are all sorts of hidden costs. Once you put that stadium in there, all these, all this parking has to go around it. It's a blight into in most most stadiums are a blight to their surroundings because they're just surrounded by parking lots. And then the types of businesses that pop up are very seasonal and small and they're like water bottles on the side of the road type stuff they're not you you know you don't actually create a lot of wealth for the people around it you don't even create that many jobs because the fact of the matter is people have a finite amount of money in their pocket to spend on fun things and if there is a stadium there they might spend it there but it's not going to be much more than if there wasn't a stadium there if there wasn't a stadium there they'd go to the zoo or the concerts or whatever else they they're not going to create money magically in their wallet because there's a stadium there so you know I think it's a really cynical play here. I think he's acting the Twitter troll to it's it's very much the the uh, major league part four or whatever. I forgot how many movies they made. Yeah, they but, did sneak in some extra ones at the end. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, a local radio host in the Bay Area. Damon Bruce was trying to get Dave Caval on, on his show on Friday, publicly put it out there, four o'clock Friday, come on the show, uh, and we could have a respectful discussion of how you're treating your current fans. My billion-dollar corporate owner has approved your appearance. Will yours? And he retweets it. Better idea. You come to the Coliseum, but we have a televised debate that is broadcast on Twitter. Maybe Elon Musk can develop the questions. You game? That is a person who's not doing anything in good faith anymore. That is a charade. That is a puppet show. This is embarrassing for Major League Baseball. I don't know how they're getting away with it as a league. A's fans deserve better. The carrot is the free stadium. They yeah. want the free stadium. They doubled the price of season tickets in Oakland this year. Is that is that true? Did they actually? Do yeah, that? I forgot to mention that sixteen percent increase, man. I don't 16%. know sixteen percent. Okay, I saw his. I wanted to verify that. Any that was increase weird. is weird. With the team you they're building right now, you just sold all the play, your players, and you want a sixteen percent increase. Yeah. They also cut. They used to have like a sort of five dollar per game. Um, no seat attached kind of game pass that allowed yeah, you into the building. Thing, yeah. It was super fan friendly. People really liked it. And they cut that. They they do not want people in the park this year. Right. Because they have to create the narrative that nobody wants to support the team so then they can move it. And I'm not an absolutist. JC yeah. Bradbury is an absolutist. He's like, no, zero, nothing, no. I do live here and I see an opportunity for Oakland to create a a waterfront downtown that would be really amazing from Jack London Square up to Howard Terminal could be really good for the city. I see enough there. And I also think that Oakland has some responsibility to get that site up to a certain level, right? Like it's industrial yeah. now. Anyone who's played SimCity knows that if you want to go from industrial to commercial, there are pipes you got to lay. There's extra power you got to throw in there. You got to throw some more roads in there. That part should be the, the, I do think Oakland could give 300 million to this project and it would be good for everybody. Do I think Oakland should give 900 million to this project or 800 million to this project? No, I don't think so. All right. Yeah, the whole, I mean, but the Reds are a mess too. If we're gonna talk about messes, I don't know who's a bigger mess. They have three wins mm. and an owner who three. told them, "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna show up for?" And C. Trent, who covers the Reds for the Athletic, has been hilarious on Twitter. I don't know if you guys have been following his tweets. Last night, he's like, "Good news is there's only 147 left or whatever <laughs> of these games." That's how I feel at Oakland games, man. The, the lineup is not good. Then he tweets the attendance, and he's like. 
Yeah, the, this many people that didn't have anything better to do showed up at the stadium. Uh, he's been trolling them, as he should. And Castellini uh, apologized the other day. However, it's like two weeks after he made the statement. Everyone knows if you're apologizing that late, it's not even remotely. Right, yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know how you rescue that organization either. Um, MLB can't expand until they fix Oakland and Tampa Stadium situations, though. They, they just They just can't. Yeah, I don't... You have to do something. I know we're getting way outside. No, I, I, I just don't know how much I agree. Yes. I, I mean, I went to Candlestick and was like, this is a bad enough stadium that it's costing them money. I could see it. You know, it's it's cold. The concourses are tiny. I, I don't know. I guess it's true of Oakland. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's It doesn't look nice. It doesn't. It, it's broken. There are flies. I mean, yeah, I guess I get flies. it. But, but Tropicana, like there's good beer. There's good food. Uh, it just looks a little bad. Do you think that's really... Maybe it's in a bad place for traffic and stuff? It's the traffic, yeah. Yeah, it's in a bad area, too. So, yeah, I think you can't ha- give Nashville a team or whatever until you fix Oakland and Tampa because otherwise you move those teams. Yeah, but I hate the idea that Oakland immediately becomes the best place to expand. So then we're going to get some stupid uh, Cleveland Browns situation where the A's are going to go to Vegas. They're going to change their name, but they're going to keep all the records. So they get to, you know, Ricky Henderson day or whatever. And then they're going to meet some new A's that don't, some new Oakland A's that don't, that don't have any of the same records. I mean, that's what happened with the Browns, right? The Browns, the the Ravens have all the records for the Browns. I believe. Don't the Nationals Nationals have Expos, you know? Uh, they don't like talking about anything Expos. It's a totally separate okay. organization. They have, they don't like it at all. Um, but the Ravens are very well, the moving the Ravens to the Baltimore Ravens, that's a well-run model NFL franchise. Yeah. But the Browns are back, which I just think is weird. <laughs> they just they just should have become a new team. Yeah. They shouldn't. Yeah, they should have had new owners or something. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever the Ravens did, you know. That scenario yeah. should not happen in Oakland. Oakland shouldn't move to Vegas only to have an expansion team end up in Oakland. That would be ridiculous. There's no reason to do it that way. But if you look at if you right. look at TV markets and stuff, Vegas is the worst. Like if you were just looking, I did this for for the Athletic on expansion. The Vegas is one of the worst markets to expand into by a lot of metrics. It's the oldest. It's yeah. the oldest fan base in terms of who lives in Vegas. Uh, it's not growing as a city, and it's the smallest TV market of any of the places they could expand. It's all about this yeah. idea that people will go there on vacation. I don't think it changes much for Vegas. Think about this. If you're a Cubs fan and the Cubs are playing in Vegas, would you go from, I'm not going to Vegas, but but now I'm going to go to Vegas because the Cubs are there? Or would you just reschedule your Vegas trip to when the Cubs are there? Maybe maybe you would just reschedule a pre-existing trip to go during baseball season, but you can go watch the Cubs play anywhere else. You could take a trip to any other part of the country. So I my my point is I don't think it creates a lot of trips to Vegas. I no, think it just I don't reschedules think it does them. It doesn't. Nashville is a better option. I think the Carolinas are like yes. an underserved from area. Durham to Charlotte. Huge, that's that's probably the best baseball. place. Yeah, yeah. And it's the fringes. It's huge, still huge. it's Braves fandom, but like it's still it's like on the fringes. We did like a little map of like the Braves sphere of influence, and they're you know it's still on the fringes yeah. of that. I think you could create new fans out there for a new team. Same. 
Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job Job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Sorry, Derek, the rundown has been blown up as we've gone on tangent. It's obliterated and we've got like 12 minutes of show left. I had to get that rant out of me, man. Are we going to do are we going to do uh people of the week or uh, yeah, let's do people of the week. Uh pitcher of the week, my nominee was Shane McClanahan. Made two starts in the past week, 16 Ks, no walks, 13 innings. He's on fire right now. Off to a fantastic start. Anybody else have nominees? Oh, I liked that one. As a whole, the best rotation has just been insane. Uh I think we talked about this last week. I mean, we we're not getting into this on the rundown, but I'm on the Mets train, and I'm not getting off. Just want to let you guys know that. <laughs> Dangerous train to get on in April because you don't really know where it's going to go in August and September. You know, though, I was thinking of doing a column about this, how this, this Mets start feels different than even last year. Because it does. <laughs> they don't have, there's a million reasons why I think this can be more sustainable than previous starts. Well, they got they definitely have more depth, right? No DeGrom. Yeah, they're just a better team, but they have the buck factor. Um, you know, they're if they all get hurt again, they're playing guys like Dom Smith, who last year were their front line. Anyway. Yeah. I like the McClanahan. They're better. Oh, I did want to point something out too. We were talking about the Mets being hit by pitches. They also signed the two biggest guys that get hit by pitches yeah, the most. Canna and Marte. Yeah. <laughs> there's Anthony Rizzo and then there's Saint- Marte and Canna, but uh, yeah, I, I wanted to uh, big ups uh, Kevin Gossman, uh, who had a really nice week, but also has a fun little statistical nugget. He is uh, going for Cor- Corbin Burns' uh, record. He has 31 strikeouts on the year with zero walks. So I forget I forget how exactly how far Corbin Burns got, but uh, Gossman had... Cosman got a good week, and uh, also like Barrios, you know, had a had a you know two start week with two with a two ERA, and I think you're starting to see why I like the Blue Jays so much, or I guess everybody does, but you know, I think this is this is what I saw for the Blue Jays is sort of gelling on the pitching side yeah. as well as the hitting side. Yeah, no no issues for Gossman getting back into the AL East so far, at least. Corbin Burns' record, 58 strikeouts last season before that first walk. Like halfway there. <laughs> Pretty sure he walked the leadoff guy this year against the Cubs. Uh, yeah, yeah. First game of the year. Awesome. He's like, this year is going to be different. <laughs> yep. It's like, DVR, well, I'm not breaking that record, so don't even think it. It's just it's not going to happen. <laughs> All right, so we got McClanahan, Gossman, and Mets. We have a clear-cut winner here. I don't know. It, it depends. Like Gossman, you think about where would Toronto be without Gossman? But McClanahan's been really good. Gossman's the leader in, in yeah, Fangraphs. Yeah, he had a really good start last week. night. 
All right, we'll use the war to break the tie. <laughs> Eno gets the square in this case. Gossman gets our pitcher of the week award. An old pack of baseball cards may or may not arrive uh, to Kevin Gossman at some point in the <laughs> next year. No guarantees. <laughs> Hitter of the week seems easier for me this week. Ty France uh, basically doing everything he wants to do in the batter's box right now. I mean, hitting 500, 552, three homers. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit on rates and barrels. I'm having some concerns that maybe I had a a bad read on Ty France. At the very least, he had a fantastic week. Uh, There are other candidates for sure for for this one. I mean, just the fact that Byron Buxton is healthy uh, is is pretty great, and he's been red hot as well. But I'm, I'm making Ty France my official nominee for this week. How do we not give a shout out to Miguel Cabrera who joined the 3000 hit club and he, and it wasn't just that he hit almost 400 last week, this past week. Mm. So that to me is a strong one. Like mm. the guy is now in the 500 Homer um, 3000 hit club. I think there's only like seven members of that club. Remarkable. If you think about it. Anthony Rizzo with a three Homer game and five homers on the week hitting 400. Yeah, the Orioles. That's pretty impressive. Yep. <laughs> Just kidding. So what's what's the excuse on Mike Trout? Mike Trout came back. Came back. Mike Trout. Mike Trout back. made himself ineligible for the award by being Mike Trout for most of his career. Today is the ten year. Today is the ten year anniversary of the Angels for calling him from AAA. Yeah. Today yeah. is that Whoa. day. I know about that. So why did why didn't he have a full year that that year? Did he get hurt in his first year? The case for Miggy, it's sort of the the career achievement, uh, last all-star nod sort of thing. But I, I think it, it very reasonably could be the last time we even think about Miguel Cabrera for an award like this. So perhaps it's fair to to give him those honors. Well, all right, all right. We'll do a legacy one. It's fine. You know, they, they, yeah. hopefully Ty France will have another <laughs> Yeah, they were co-MLB play, uh, players of the week, I think, because MLB was like, hey, we're not choosing between the two. So we could co- yeah, all right. I guess we could do that. No, let's be different. If we're going to do the legacy, do it. Miguel Cabrera, baby. He's he's not going to have another one. I, I don't think he's going to come up again for hitter of the week considerations. And I, I do think it's, it's it's right to honor him. He's a fantastic player. I think it's one of the, the hard things about longevity is usually as you as you go out, you're not as good as when you started. It's almost impossible to play at a level like that. Even if he'd aged more Thanks, like Derek. a Nelson Cruz or something, that would... I know this. I know this. Every Is morning. Has there ever I wake been up, someone who this. went out with like the best year of their career? I mean, the closest thing I can remember to that recently is probably David Ortiz, right? Because yeah. I, yeah. there was a point four or five years, I think, before retirement, people thought, this is it. This is the end. David Ortiz finally not going to be that feared middle of the order hitter. And nope, that actually, uh, rumors of his demise were exaggerated. <laughs> he came back and. He was still very, very feared, prominently featured in that lineup when he decided to to call it a career. Also, I don't think he decided to call it a career, uh, but Barry Bonds had a 480 on base percentage and was 57% better than the league uh, in 2007 in his last yep. year. So, okay. that, that That's wins. really good. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. I, I I uh, it's not like he walked away. I think he was sort of blackballed. Should have kept playing, should have been allowed to keep playing, but uh, you didn't get that opportunity. Uh, last thing I wanted to throw out there, uh, the the Yankees letter, uh, much to the chagrin of, of the Yankees and Major League Baseball, uh, the details of the letter were revealed, and Evan Drellick wrote about it for The Athletic, and I, I, 
I, I think his takeaways are, are pretty sound here. It's really it, did, it didn't reveal anything that we didn't already know other than to kind of highlight a disparity between what Rob Manfred said they did and what he knew they did, which just is another it's another reason that I think many of us are going to be skeptical of the commissioner and the commissioner's office because of, of these sorts of disparities. Yeah, that, to me, I was thinking there was going to be more cheating involved on the Yankee side, right? They fought so hard for this letter to not be public. I was very unimpressed with what was actually discovered. Um, I don't know how you guys felt, but I think Astros fans were certainly holding on for like another garbage can type of scheme. And it just seemed like pretty much everything had already been previously reported that we knew about when it came to them and their cheating. And to me, this was just like a meh. This could have been released on that Tuesday. It was so the hype was too much, maybe. I have a slightly different read, which is that I feel like the line between cheating and non-cheating is razor friggin' thin, razor thin. That's what I, I I got a little bit of that while watching or reading Evans' thing. It's like, okay, so it's not cheating to look at the video and use the video to decode, even though it kind of said that it was cheating. Right. This is interpretation now. Right. So, but it's not cheating if you then communicate that verbally without the use of electricity <laughs> but you know the astros didn't use electricity they used a trash right. can so they decoded the same way like virtually the same way as the the yankees they decoded signs looking at the video right and then for some reason it's much worse to then use a trash can than to tell the runner on second to do it and I, I guess I get it because the runner on second has always, that's always been a thing, right? In the history of baseball, the runner on second is trying to decode the signs and will will try to relay signs to the, the hitter. And that's that's kind of maybe that's, that's the difference, baseball. Yeah. That, it seems like well, a very racer thing difference to me that like we use a trash can. So, that. so on field person relaying the information that you stole in the video room, okay off-field person relaying the information you stole in the video room. Yeah. Not okay. That's to me the bigger difference is like the players yeah. can relay signs in-game to each other that's been going on forever. But a team employee back there banging on a trash mm. can is probably what they had the issue with, right? All right. I mean, it, it's... I guess it's a line. It just seems like yeah. a funny line. It seems, I guess, like a, a pretty yeah. tight little line. <laughs> like, I feel like if that's the line... We're going to find other ways to cross it. You're going to have some player that just goes back there and does the, and just goes back there every time. And it's as long as it's a player doing it and not a staff member, then it's fine. You know what? This is okay. So this kind of brings me back to the sticky stuff enforcement, right? You see the players walking off and they're still getting their hands and gloves checked. Okay. You're telling me that that we've we've stopped the sticky stuff. I see guys tucking in their jerseys constantly. I see Corbin Burns going up behind his hair all the time. I'm sure he's just fixing his hair. I'm sure he's decided that he's more comfortable living his life with a long flow that he has to mess with between pitches. Maybe that's what it is. I'm sure these guys like having jerseys they have to retuck in all the time because they just enjoy that for some reason. All I'm saying is if we think that cheating isn't happening constantly on the field, we're being very naive, right? Whether it's sign stealing, whether it's sticky stuff, the league, the league has, I think, an increasing amount of pressure 
And it's interesting that the, the the Yankees letter was actually part of this lawsuit filed by daily fantasy sports contestants who felt they had been defrauded by baseball's sign stealing scandals. Now that you have betting, you're in bed with sports betting now. The integrity of the game actually matters more on a bigger scale now because of who you've chosen to yeah. do business with. So these 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 things are going to be under the microscope all the time. And I feel like the punishments are going to have to be a lot more harsh than they have been historically. I realize the Astros punishment was was significant, but by comparison, the Yankees and the Red yeah. Sox slap on the wrist. The Yankees one was not. I, I do I do think that's where the line is for me. The line is a little bit less about this sort of like on-field, non-on-field persona. The line is organizational versus player-driven or, or, or single player-driven. You know what I'm saying? Like if, 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 it would be a problem. It would be problematic for me if the Dodgers had a, a table in the clubhouse full of different sticky yeah. stuffs, right? You know? And they were like, "Please, which sticky stuff would you like today, sir?" You know? Right? Like, that would that would be a problem for me if they were developing in the minors. They were giving it to players in the minors. Like, so to me, the big problem is when it becomes organizational, and that's I think the thing that stuck out with the Astros was like. And they tried to like, oh no, I didn't know, I didn't know. BS. BS. The players knew. I knew back when it was happening. The players knew. Opposing players knew. Anybody who walked by that room and said, what is that TV thing doing right there by the dugout? You know? So that, I think, a GM walking through that. Oh, I don't, I don't know what's happening anything. here. I can't possibly figure it I out. I don't know. Don't, don't, don't. Don't talk to me about it. I don't. I, I don't mean, know why you're here. If you're not nope, cheating, nope, you're not nope. trying. I've heard that so many times from players. It's just how it goes. So yeah, like it's it's such a common expression in baseball. And I wasn't trying to single out Corbin Burns. And people were making a big deal about Garrett Cole, like wiping the back of his pants. And oh, oh, by the way, his spin rate is not up. I just want to put that out there. I might do a tweet later. His spin rate is not up. So if if he is doing something, Stay it might be for grip, though. and maybe that's well, okay. It, we don't want guys to get hit constantly, so yeah, maybe maybe that is okay. Right, then maybe that's okay. The whole problem with Spider Attack yes. was that it was plus yes. four hundred that RPM. That's a big deal. He was not up an RPM. Whatever he was doing yesterday or his last start was not. Up. He was not up. I an bring RPM. up the Burns and Cole examples of just like the mannerisms of pitchers on the mound. Like, right, if you're getting checked on your hands and your glove, and there is some yeah. evidence that spin right. is coming back. There is some evidence that there's there's people. I'm being checked on my hands and my gloves. All I got to do is make sure that there's no sticky residue on my hands and my gloves when I walk up to the umpire. So if I keep it behind my hair or on the back of my legs, and I'm not saying that's what those two guys are doing, if I keep it somewhere else. Right. I'm good. And I imagine there are players doing all sorts of things like that still because, right, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. We have to go. Uh, before we go, I should let you know you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month, theathletic.com slash baseball show. So be sure to get that. If you haven't got that already, you can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Droli, Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper, and you can drop us emails using the Rates and Barrels email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday. On the 3-0 show, you got the green light. <laughs> <laughs>